I want to invite you, if you have your Bibles, to turn with me or open up your phone app in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 52. I will begin reading in verse 13, and I will continue through Isaiah 53, verse 6. Beginning then in Isaiah 52, verse 13. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see. That which they have not heard, they understand. Chapter 53. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Let's pray together. Father God, none of us were expecting that we would be celebrating Good Friday alone. As we made plans at the end of 2019, none of us imagined or even knew about a COVID-19 virus. In fact, while the pastors were preparing the theme for 2020-21, radical dependence, we had no idea that you were about to illustrate how absolutely dependent we are on you. And so God, remove the distractions that trouble us tonight. Help us to hear from you, turn our hearts towards you that we might know you better tonight than we did yesterday. Do this so that your glory would be obvious in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is the very first week of Singapore's effort to cut the COVID current. And some of you know that Sherry and I can look out of my home office window right down on the East Coast Parkway, and we have noticed a significant difference. A lot of Singaporeans seem to be staying home, at least 
they seem to be staying home from work. Now, I'm a bit of an introvert. I know people find that hard to believe, but I, I'm actually a really, really strong introvert. So when I think about you know, taking shelter at home, I think that that's kind of awesome. But I know there are some of you who are already feeling the strain of isolation. And I guess it's fortunate that we live in the 21st century because there's lots of help on the internet if you're not a believer. For instance, I, I just did a quick search on how to manage sheltering at home or in some places in the world, they're actually quarantined in their houses. Everything is locked down. We fortunately are not that way yet in Singapore, but many people in the world are. And so there's lots of places on the internet that you can find help on how to survive sheltering at home. And I found something kind of fascinating to me, 30 fun distractions that lift your spirit during quarantine. Now, let me just warn you, every one of them all involves spending money. Every one of the 30 distractions uh, costs you something. But for somebody like me, who's a bit um, ADHD, it's, it's hard to imagine someone wanting or looking for a distraction. That didn't satisfy me. Then I stumbled onto all manner of fitness sites all over the internet that give lots of suggestions. Here's a sample, just four suggestions to help you while you are taking shelter at home. First, start a virtual support group because apparently if you don't know the Lord, it takes a crisis to discover the value of care group ministry. Second, start a journal and now I'm quoting. You will be amazed by how clever your own thoughts are. Hmm. Sorry, I don't even know what to say about that. Third, schedule time for self-care. Because apparently quarantine is all about you. Look after yourself. Trim your hair. Clip, her, clip your nails. Do something that will relax you. Take a nap. Quarantine is for your own good. And four, get rid of expectations. Don't even know what to say about that. Of course, there's always Netflix. And I, I'm, as you know, very transparent. And so I'm not embarrassed to say Sherry and I are watching Crash Landing on You for the second time. For the second time, we are watching Crash Landing on You. I've never done that before in my life. I don't usually ever even make it through a series because who can pay attention that long? But we are now watching Crash Landing on You with subtitles for the seventh time. On this Good Friday though, I'm not hoping that we will take comfort from the internet. I'm hoping this evening that you and I, right where we are in our homes, all over this island, wherever you are viewing, I'm praying that we will take comfort in the strength of God's word. So I hope you'll keep your Bibles open to Isaiah as we look at just three points this evening. It won't be long. Because one of the things we're supposed to do is not spend as long in our services, which I don't know why it matters. Because I'm the only one in this room right now. But it's going to be short. 
three points, the servant's rejection, the servant's glory, and the servant's victory. First, let's look at chapter 53. I know I'm flipping it around. Some of you will be troubled by that. 52 comes before 53, Pastor. I'm just going to start here. Chapter 53, verses 1 through 3, the servant's rejection. I find this amazing. It really gripped my heart last week as Pastor Eugene was preaching when he clearly said this. I wrote it down. God speaks before things spring forth. That's an amazing comfort to know that nothing catches God by surprise. In fact, he ordains all things that happen for the purpose of our good and for his glory. So he speaks to his people before things develop. 700 years before Jesus walked on the earth, the Lord God opened up a window for his prophet Isaiah and he revealed something to him that he was up to in his world. And in this pivotal text, God can see, be seen to be stitching together Israel's liberation history and her liberation future. Whether or not he understood it, it's unclear. God was giving Isaiah a preview. Verse 1, who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Isaiah's hearing these things in his heart and in his soul. God is revealing these things. And he asks himself, who knows? Who knows these things? This mystery of the gospel unfolding. And the assumed answer is, no one, none of us. Why? Verse 2, for he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. So just like no one would look for a fresh young plant flourishing in cracked and arid soil, Israel didn't find him either because they weren't looking for him there. They weren't looking for him in the cracked soil of a Bethlehem barn. They were looking for their liberator to be born in a palace, not in a barn, in the capital city, not a sleepy little village. He was, verse 3, despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Isaiah's window of revelation was pointing back to another liberation, another despicable liberation, just like this one would be despicable just like we would look at this image of the one lifted up and despise it and esteem him not he's now pointing us back to another liberation of god's people it's recorded in numbers 21 
a time in which the people had been in Exodus for many, many years, and they had grown tired. They had become impatient with the Lord's timetable. They despised his provision. They hated the food, manna, manna, every day. And so the Lord sent them a symbol of their sin. This was a despicable symbol to the people of Israel. It was a reminder of the fall of humanity. The sand of viper in the wilderness buried itself under the sand, only horns and eyes exposed. And when a man walked by, he snapped and bit, and as Genesis says, bruised his heel. God brought many of these vipers that bit the people, and they lived with the poison, and many died with the poison. And when they cried out to God, God sent them a horrifying solution. He said to Moses, take the image of this serpent. Even though no Jew can look at any graven image, this despicable serpent, make a graven image of this serpent and lift it up, this cursed creature. Lift up the cursed. Look at the cursed and be healed. So suddenly, Jesus' message to Nicodemus begins to make sense to us. Because remember, Nicodemus, the Pharisee, afraid to visit Jesus in the daylight, came to him at night. And Jesus, in John 3, said, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. It was a cursed thing to be raised up on a cross, to be beaten and bloodied. No man or woman who was self-respecting could even go close because they would be declared unclean. They couldn't worship in the temple. The man hung there, a betrayer of his nation, Naked in front of everyone. A cursed help. Lift him up. Look to the curse and be healed. On this night, some 2,000 years ago, Judas had already betrayed Jesus. For the amount of money, 30 pieces of silver, that it would cost to purchase a slave. Jesus didn't have a care group giving him online support. His care group slept while he prayed and wept. And in that critical moment, Jesus was truly alone until it was finished, even his father turned away, cursed, and alone. So how can Friday possibly be good? 
chapter 13, verses 4 through 6. The servant's glory. I know this sounds odd because we're talking about crucifixion. How can something so gruesome, so horrific, so slanderous be glorious? It is glorious because in his suffering, the servant of God demonstrated something that is desired of every servant. Simple, sacrificial obedience. Surely, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Now, now why would we consider him stricken? Why would he, we consider him smitten by God and, and afflicted? Because for most of us, substitution is not a good thing. If you go to a market, perhaps a wet market, and of course you're masked up, right? And you're trying to keep safe distance. But when you go to the wet market tomorrow to buy some groceries and you're looking for tomatoes and the shopkeeper says, sorry, no tomatoes, but we have some nice apples. That's not what you were hoping for. Nobody wants to be a sub if they can be a full-time teacher. No footballer, once he's on the pitch playing for country and color, is hoping that the manager is going to sub him off. When Sherry and I were serving in another country, we were waiting for a large package of Bibles. They were just English, well, bilingual Bibles, English and Chinese. And apparently a customs officer didn't like that we were ordering Bibles. And so he replaced those Bibles. He substituted every Bible with the holy book of his preference. I felt stricken. I felt smitten and afflicted because replacement wasn't what I was hoping for. But here we find why. I've put up this so that you can see what God's servant shepherd experienced and what we enjoyed because of his substitutionary sacrificial act. Let me read verses five and six and you follow on the chart that you can see in front of you. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds, we are healed. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, the iniquity excuse me, of us all. The rebel sheep instead of bearing responsibility, instead of rebellion, we got righteousness. Instead of hostility, we got healing. He was crushed because of us. He was pierced because of us. 
the Lord has laid on him. The iniquity of us all, us religious people, us self-righteous people, us who are sinners, us who are not even believers, all of that sin was laid upon God's gentle servant shepherd. In the early 70s, a social psychiatrist named Robert Cialdini began to study an emotional phenomenon that seemed to lend people joy. He found it fascinating because when he looked at these people's personal life, there was nothing in their life would, that would suggest that they should have joy, despite the fact that there was nothing in their context that would seem to support them having joy. They seemed to have it. His research suggested that individuals bolster their self-esteem and their self-worth by identifying with another group or individual's success. He created a new psychiatric term in 1975. For this phenomenon, it was called burging. Burging literally means basking in reflected glory. And in order for me to illustrate what this truly means to all of us, I'm going to have to share a humiliating secret. Okay, here it goes. Canada has a national game. And I can't play it. It's true. Not only can I not play ice hockey, I don't even, Canadian as I am, know how to ice skate. But the year was 1987, and I remember it like it was yesterday, because Canada was playing our national sport. We were hosting the World Hockey Championship. And this was during a day when everybody knew Canada could play hockey. In fact, the world championship was called the Canada Cup because we're the best at it. In those days, players behind the Iron Curtain, that means in the USSR, the Soviet Russia in Czechoslovakia, they weren't allowed to play in the National Hockey League. They were just amateurs. And they came to play the best in the world. And I was all ready for Canada because all the nation's TV screens were facing us. I was ready for us to show that we are the best at something. But in the round robin tournament where every team plays every other team to see who will advance to the knockout stages, Canada suffered a humiliating tie with lowly Czechoslovakia. Amateur players who were in the army, not in the National Hockey League. And then we lost to the Soviet Union. The amazing thing is somehow Canada managed to make it into the final because the USSR was the only team to not lose. Canada had one loss and one tie, which was marginally better 
then Czechoslovakia. So we went into the final to play the Soviet Union. This was a big event for Canadians. Schools were canceled. There was no virus except the ice hockey virus. Schools were canceled. People were calling in sick. The final was a best of three series. The first team to win two took home the cup and the hockey laurels of the planet. Game one, Canada lost in overtime, six to five. In game two, in the final, there were two overtimes, but Canada won, same score, six to five. And then in the final game, okay, I confess, I called the deacon saying, I gotta stay home and watch the final. So I was in my living room in 1987, watching this final game. And with one minute left in the last period, this happened. Mario Lemieux, number 66, playing for the Pittsburgh Penguins, but now for his nation, Canada, scored the winning goal and Canada went crazy. I was doing the double fist pump. I was shouting at the ceiling because of course, I knew God didn't care that much. In the final, we won it. We won it. Even though I have never laced up a pair of ice hockey skates, I've never had any bruises from playing hockey. I have all my own teeth. I did not put in the work, but I was basking in their reflected glory. Do you understand? This is what Singapore did when Joseph Schooling won the Olympic gold medal in 2016. It's what that Passover moon did as it rose reflecting the work and glory of the sun. It's what water does every time light is present. It's what we do when we realize he has borne our griefs he has carried our sorrows, pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. This is the glorious, excuse me, replacement. This is his substitutionary work. He was glorified because in that moment, rebels received his righteousness. Sin sick sinners were healed. We who did nothing to earn it. We are simply basking in his reflected glory. That's why, friends, even on this circuit-breaking Good Friday, Friday is good. I'd like you to take a moment right now. We're not done the message. But maybe you're tired of being so religious and perfect, dressing properly so everyone knows you're seeing the king. You're wearing yourself out serving. Would you take a moment and realize there is nothing more you need to do but bask in his reflected glory. There's nothing more you need to do but let the gospel the treasure inside of you be 
obvious. And maybe you're tuning in from somewhere and you are not truly a believer. If you died at this moment, you are not certain that you would spend eternity with this king of glory. He is bearing his arm for you. He's showing you his salvation. Though your sins are many, though your griefs are deep, your sorrows are immense, he bore them. He was pierced for your sin. He was crushed for all the bad decisions you have made. And you need only rest in his provision. This could be not only a good Friday, but the best Friday for you. If you would but say, yes, come King, reflect your glory in me. But now we go back to chapter 52, verses 13 through 15. Here it is. Behold, my servant, and that Hebrew word makes no distinction. It is both the word for slave and servant. How did God know the price for a slave? Because he said it, 30 pieces. And that's exactly how much Judas was paid to deliver this compassionate servant over to those who would kill him. My servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up. Not just lifted up like the serpent. Not just lifted up like the crucified man. But high and lifted up. Not just grieving. Not just broken. But high and lifted up and exalted. And at this point, it's almost like Isaiah is making in verse 14 a parenthetical comment. As many were astonished at you and then he goes back to god's word his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance his form was suddenly beyond that of the children of mankind which is why the roman soldier looked up at him and said truly this is the son of god eugene reminded us last week god's people had absolutely no categories for the idea that victory would come through experience rather than inflicting wrath and degrading shame. The Messiah they wanted was a liberator who would inflict wrath on Rome, who would shame them, crucify them all. But instead of that Messiah, the Messiah they got was a lamb who experienced wrath and degradation. Verse 15, behold, my servant shall sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. All those who imagine that they rule, kings and dictators, prime ministers, and yes, ordinary citizens of a democracy who imagine themselves to be the boss of their government. All of us shall shut our mouths and open our ears 
and hear his word as he plants it deep into our hearts. His blood will sprinkle on that cross as it were an altar on behalf of not just one nation, but many nations, not just King Herod, but Roman kings, European kings, Russian czars, Asian sultans. He will sprinkle upon many nations. He will shut our mouths and open our eyes. This very passage is the passage that gives missionaries courage and evangelists hope. The Apostle Paul quoted it in Romans 15 when he said, And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, for as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand because he is the God who shows his mighty arm of salvation. He is the God who shuts mouths and open, opens eyes. Because this cursed Christ was lifted up in horror and disgust, the promise comes that he will be lifted up in glory and in honor. In writing to the church at Philippi, the Apostle Paul writes as though he can almost see it now. God has opened his eyes, and so he writes, Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a, hear it, servant, being born in the likeness of men. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming, hear it, obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and has bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That word translated into Greek that we have exalted is the very same word used in Isaiah. He will be lifted high. And every king and every pauper, every prince and prime minister will bow and proclaim Jesus Christ is indeed Lord. I don't know how you're feeling right now. Because of the way we're forced to do services, I can't even see your face. I don't know if you're anxious. I don't know if you're full of hope. But let me remind us of our reflection question. In these dark days, can you trust him with your life? Can you trust him with your tomorrow? Can you trust him with your soul? 
maybe you're feeling a heaviness. Maybe you've done some things in your life that you're trying to forget, but they wake you up in the middle of the night. My friends, let your altar be sprinkled. Look to the curse and be healed. For he has taken your grief. He has taken your sorrow. And he nailed it to that cross. Would you take a moment in these quiet moments and name those things, everything you need to place in his hands today.